This podcast is intended solely for educational purposes and presents information of a general nature. It is not intended to guide or determine any specific individual situation and persons should consult qualified professionals before taking specific action. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and not those of Milliman. Hello and welcome to Critical Point, brought to you by Milliman. I'm Leslie Pink, and I'll be your host today. In this episode of Critical Point, we're going to be talking about telehealth. Milliman consultants have written a number of papers on telehealth. Some of the topics covered include telehealth under alternative payment models and telemedicine and the long tail problem. Joining us today is Susan Phillip, a senior healthcare management consultant from our San Francisco office who is an author on those two papers. Susan has nearly 20 years of experience in health policy, healthcare finance, and health services research with federal and state governments, academia, and the nonprofit sector. She has worked with clients on strategies for telehealth, telemedicine financing, and adoption. Welcome, Susan. Hi, Leslie. Thanks so much for having me here. Let's start with a general definition of telehealth. What is it and what areas does it encompass? Sure. I think many folks have heard the term telehealth, and they might have heard other terms also, such as telemedicine, virtual visits, and remote patient monitoring. All of these describe um, telecommunication technologies um, that are really essentially trying to connect the patient with the clinician for really the care the patient needs. Um, And I think there's been a lot of excitement about telehealth and, you know, the promises that it might hold to improve access and convenience and even quality of care. Um, One important point I'd really like to emphasize about telehealth is that it really is a modality of delivering healthcare services. It's not an intervention in and of itself, right? It's really about getting uh, care to patients when they need it in a way that's convenient and easy for them to access. Okay, speaking of that, how would you break down the different elements of telehealth? Can you tell us a bit about some of the different areas? Yeah, I would say there are a few different telehealth types. Um, First, you have what you might think of as live video, right? So this is um, essentially live two-way interaction between the patient and their doctor using some kind of audiovisual technology, right? And then you have something called store and forward, and that, that, the concept there is you're basically capturing patient information and, um, say, like a digital photo, a digital image, um, and then transmitting that information to a practitioner that's in a different location. And so in that sense, it's not real time because you have uh, the information that's being captured from the patient and then being remotely delivered to the uh, practitioner. Then you have what we call remote patient monitoring, and that is basically collecting personal health and medical data from an individual in a certain location and then transmitting it to a practitioner, usually uh, a care manager, for example, in another location. 
Um, and this is really done in the context of a larger care management program. So, for example, you've got a patient that's been discharged from a hospital. They, that patient just had heart surgery. Uh, they're sent home with a couple of devices that's Bluetooth-enabled. That information um, that is being collected from the devices is then sent to an app, and then the app is transmitting information to a remote care, mon- care manager that is then um, looking at the information and, and uh, using that to provide uh, care management to that patient. So telehealth encompasses many different areas. Yeah, live video, store and forward, remote patient monitoring, I would say, are the three big ones. I will also add that you've got a broader term called digital health tools or mHealth, and those are really, um, it's a much broader definition, and it can be used to describe patient education, um, patient engagement tools. Um, You don't necessarily have a human being on the other side. It could be enabled by AI or some other type of a um, platform to do things like engage a patient in healthy behavior or to improve medication adherence. So those are the kinds of applications that is used um, broader in, in mHealth. And let's talk a little bit about the history of telehealth. When did it come into existence and why did it come into existence? Yeah, so you know, I think this is interesting. Um, telehealth has been around and has been going on for over 50 years. NASA actually first developed some form of a telemedicine really as a way to monitor astronauts in space, right? And then they were thinking about ways to apply this to the Earth. So the first thing they did was trying to, they were trying to develop a technology to study the effects of gravity on circulation and respiration, and then on the physiological effects of the human body. And then uh, eventually they did take that technology and say, how could we apply this to, um, you know, to terrestrial solutions? (laughs) So another early example dates back to the early 1960s. At that time, the Nebraska Psychiatric Institute began providing consultation services to a remote state mental health hospital, and they used closed-circuit television system. And that was really a way for them to be able to see patients and be able to provide the practitioners who were in that remote mental health hospital and provide them direct services through an audiovisual tools. Speaking of that, where is telehealth being used the most now in the U.S., and what specific populations are using telehealth? Yeah, I think right now telehealth in its traditional form has re- is really being used in rural areas, and that kind of makes sense because we're talking about areas without certain practitioners. There's health professional shortages, so... For example, let's take the state of Iowa. Iowa has been dealing with a psychiatric shortage for years. Um, 89 of the state state's 99 counties have a mental health professional shortage, and that's according to the Federal Agency uh, Health Resources Services Administration. Um, so that's an example of where you've got some serious um, health professional shortages, and telehealth can really help connect a psychiatrist and mental health provider with patients. And, you know, I do think that the need for telehealth in rural communities is really going to become even more pressing with the opioid epidemic. And as um, 
communities really struggle to find mental health and substance use treatment for their populations. And this leads to the, my next question, which is, what are some of the major benefits? One is providing access to people who might not normally have it. What are some of the other benefits? I would say the biggest benefit of telehealth and the promise that it holds is that it is a way of providing healthcare services to a patient at the time they need it. Um, and it really reduces barriers to access. Um, so one application of uh, telehealth and a hope for telehealth is that you know perhaps it can be used to prevent more serious exacerbations of a condition. You know, stop a condition from getting worse because you're getting a patient the care they need at the time they need it. So you know, can you prevent really expensive emergency department visit? Um, and so I think that's a potential area for it to really provide benefits. Has there been any research done yet on the effectiveness of telehealth as compared to in-person visits? So there has been quite a lot of research. And uh, recently, a federal agency called the Agency for Health Research and Quality had produced a review of all the evidence on uh, telehealth. And they came up with the conclusion, based on the current evidentiary base, that um, that telehealth interventions really produces positive outcomes for remote patient monitoring, what I just mentioned earlier as an example, and really for certain types of uh, chronic conditions, such as cardiovascular and respiratory disease. Um, and for those patients, it's been found to actually reduce hospital admissions. Uh, psychotherapy was also another area with a strong evidentiary support um, as part of a behavioral health care program. Um, now, there is some concern about telehealth's effects on, on cost and utilization. If you are making healthcare more accessible, then presumably more people will be using it. Um, and that does have some implications for healthcare costs. Um, so there's some concern that telehealth for, say, non emergency um, primary care type services might drive up overall healthcare utilization because in some cases it might not be a substitute for a higher cost service but it is in fact a new service um, and if a person has a telehealth visit and then they have to have a follow-up in-person visit well then you've got a couple of more visits versus a reduced visit so there is some, some concern about uh, this new modality of services driving up overall healthcare use and costs. And who has jurisdiction over telehealth since it's online, since it's via the phone? How does that work? Yes. Well, the regulatory world of healthcare and telehealth is complicated. The first thing, if I were a provider of telehealth, the first thing I would want to know is who is a payer? Is it Medicare? Is it Medicaid? Is it commercial? Um, and under each of those, different rules apply. Um whether a telehealth visit is covered will depend on the payer type. So that's one thing to consider. You know, who's the payer and is it covered? If, if the beneficiary or the member is a Medicaid member, well, then the rules vary by every state. So, um, for example, in the state of California, a Medicaid member has uh, coverage for store and forward 
for teledermatology, um, whereas that might not be the case in another state. And Medicare's definition of telehealth is actually quite restricted. Uh, it's restricted to real-time live video, so no store and forward except for two states. So it's restricted to real-time live video and audio communication between the patient and a provider at a distance site. And uh, the patient, where the patient is, matters. So uh, there's two types of restrictions called originating site and geographic restrictions. So the patient uh, must be at a certain originating site, which means they either have to be in a doctor's office or they have to be in a hospital or they have to be at a certain location that is on the approved list of originating sites. The home is not an approved originating site. So that is a current restriction under Medicare. Um, and then you have a geographic restriction, which right now Medicare only covers telehealth for rural areas. So that in of itself, those two restrictions are pretty big restrictions under Medicare. But I will say those rules are changing and becoming more relaxed. Where do you think telehealth has the capacity to be the most useful, the most effective? Are there specific populations that it's especially suited for? Yeah, so I think that telehealth has a lot of promise to serve people with mental health and substance use needs. Um, according to the CDC, the latest statistics um, from 2016, there have been 42,000 people who have died in the U.S. Uh, uh, from an opioid overdose. So these are really concerning estimates, and um, all signs indicate that w that has not abated at this point. So there's been a lot of attention on how we can address the opioid epidemic, and telehealth is potentially a solution in helping uh, connect mental health providers and substance use providers with patients. Um, so one uh, of the, there's actually a bill that is just working its way through Congress now that would allow uh, the loosening of these Medicare restrictions on these originating site requirements. So eliminating um, that requirement for substance use disorder treatment and it would also allow for um, coverage of substance use treatment for people in uh, non or rural areas, so urban areas and suburban areas. So I think that really is um, assuming that that passes, and there is actually quite a lot of bipartisan support when it comes to mental health treatment and the opioid epidemic. Um, so if that were to pass, I think that will really open up a lot of doors. And on that note, you're based in California, and it seems like that state is at the forefront of telehealth. Can you tell us some things that California is doing? Yeah, I think California has done quite a bit from the regulatory side as well as just the market and what the private industry has been doing. So from the regulatory side, um, one thing that they have made explicit in law is certain types of store and forward is covered. As I mentioned before, under Medicaid, uh, teledermatology is covered. Also, um, teleoptometry is also covered for the Medicaid population. So, 
in that sense, it's um, allowed for additional specialty services to be covered under Medicaid. So from the private sector side, we really are seeing quite a few companies, especially newer startups that are interested in, in the healthcare space and are leveraging telehealth visits to better engage patients, especially in their own healthcare. They're also trying to figure out what are the other needs of a patient. So for example, I've seen some interesting um, solutions that first uh, have a patient engage with the app or with a solution with a telehealth visit, but then through that engagement, they find out other services that a patient might need. So for example, are they at risk for um, housing issues? And do they then get connected to social services? Um, are there potential financial literacy tools that they could benefit from? So these are actually addressing a wide range of not just traditional health care needs, but other social services needs that a patient might need. What do you think the future of telehealth will be? Is there anything especially exciting or interesting on the horizon? Well, I do think that um, the fact that Medicare is loosening some of its requirements. So, for example, under the Medicare Shared Savings Program, a number of providers that participate in that program are now going to be able to provide telehealth to their um, to, to their beneficiaries, including folks that are not, um, including folks who are not in rural areas and can also provide healthcare services and telehealth to patients in their home. So I think that is really exciting because it does open up a whole new uh, set of doors to treat patients and provide additional care management for elderly patients in their home. So the other area that um, I think telehealth holds a lot of promise is uh, these new devices and new technologies. So, for example, um, last year there was a device that the FDA had approved to allow um, certain drugs to be monitored through a pill that you swallow. So it's essentially a digital pill that has sensors that you swallow, and that is then used to essentially journal how the patient is doing in terms of taking their medication. So are they adherent and are they actually taking their meds? The only way you really can tell a patient's taking their meds if it actually went down their throat. <laughs> so um, I think that's very interesting. Uh, it's a whole different world of uh, monitoring and patient adherence. We'll see how much uptake there is and how much provider uh, comfort and how much patient comfort there is because those two things are necessary to in increase adoption. Um, you know, and I will say maybe an obvious point, but there's going to continue to be demand for convenient access to care. I mean, in every aspect of our lives, we have ready access to pretty much everything. We can do our finances on our phones. We can access and uh, reach all sorts of services through our mobile devices, so why not be able to reach your healthcare practitioner? So I think there's just going to be increased demand over time, and that does have implications for healthcare use and cost. So that's something to continue to monitor, and of course, 
you want to make sure that patients are actually getting effective care um, from their providers that are in, in a different location. Thank you, Susan, for joining us. You've been listening to Critical Point, presented by Milliman. To listen to other episodes of our podcast, please visit us at milliman.com or find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. See you next time.